Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Good afternoon, evening, or morning. This is your old Uncle Mosh with Raiders Fan Radio, and you are in for a treat. Sit back and get ready to listen to one of the most insanely knowledgeable people you will ever meet talk about our beloved Raiders. Another episode coming your way of Silver and Black Flashback by Rich Schmelter, the author of the Raiders Encyclopedia. As always, thanks so much, Murph, Uncle Mosh, and Swag Jeff. I am so proud to be a part of this show that continues to help out so many through the One Nation Foundation that benefits Raiders-related charities. You guys put on the greatest Raiders podcast and also give from the heart to help others. So, so proud to be a part of it all. And as always, much respect, guys. And to you, Raider Nation, Whether you are from the north, the south, the east, or the west, there is only one central location, and that is Raider Nation, the best damn fan base in the world. And I could not think of any other group of people I can proudly call my brothers and sisters united in the passion that is our Raiders. All right, Raider Nation. Well, we made it through the 1980 regular season, the playoffs, and our Raiders were still one of only two teams left to finish off the 1980 season. And we all know what that meant. Super Bowl, baby! And this is where our four-part journey of Silver and Black flashbacks trip back to the 1980 season ends with glorious domination from our badasses of Raider Nation. So are you ready for Super Bowl 15? Hell yeah, you are! So let's go! The city of New Orleans had hosted four previous Super Bowls prior to the one scheduled for January 25, 1981. In the previous encounters, feel-good stories arose that are forever part of Super Bowl lore. In 1970, future Hall of Fame quarterback Len Dawson helped Kansas City overcome major odds against them to beat the heavily favored Minnesota Vikings after being exonerated of links to gamblers. He also won the game's Most Valuable Player Award. And the Dallas Cowboys, dubbed America's team, won two Super Bowls in New Orleans with a head coach and quarterback, both with strong religious convictions. And how could anyone forget when Pittsburgh's much-beloved owner, Art Rooney, finally got to be declared a champion at age 74 after decades of despair in the Steel City? And then along came the Oakland Raiders in 1981, the Hells Angels of pro football, who brought the twos, bomb threats, and a better feud between team owner Al Davis and NFL commissioner 
Pete Rozelle into the Big Easy. The Raiders also had billboards throughout the city of New Orleans designed with a picture of the Raiders' Super Bowl XI ring and their classic commitment to excellence and pride and poise mottos written on them to show everyone that our bad boys were in town. About 10 days before the Raiders were set to invade New Orleans, Al Davis testified about his concern that many team owners were making a very good profit on scalping Super Bowl tickets. Now, not only was he getting all the other owners mad at him, but Davis decided to go for the kill by stating that the league commissioner, Pete Rozelle himself, was in on the scam. In defense of Davis, he did not come forth with any new evidence, but rather fortified a story regarding a past high-ranking executive of the Los Angeles Rams who admitted some wrongdoings in the past. Now, Pete Rozelle strongly denied any charges claimed against him, but it added more strain on his already tumultuous relationship with the King of Raider Nation, Al Davis. Adding salt to the wound was the fact that Davis continued on his pursuit to relocate the Raiders to Los Angeles despite negative feedback from Roselle and his fellow team owners. The big buzz throughout the media was what if Roselle would actually have to present the Lombardi Trophy to Davis if the Raiders won? And if so, how would Davis react? And then next came a bomb threat at the Raiders' hotel that, after an extensive search, no bomb was found. And then there was John the Tuzmatuzak, Oakland's resident wild man and inspirational leader of the defense. Now, the Twos like to go out on the town on Wednesday nights. And with the party town of New Orleans serving as a backdrop, he got wilder than ever, even with the Super Bowl growing closer. The temptation to party was just too great for Matuzak to pass up. He was a fierce competitor who knew what was at stake come game time but he had to release some steam in a town known for wild parties. So, after his one night of good times, Matuzak was then ready to let his fury loose on Super Bowl Sunday against the Philadelphia Eagles, who were beginning to serve mainly as a sideshow in this silver and black mecca of mayhem. The Eagles came into this Super Bowl meeting with the Raiders after years of losing. Since winning the pre-Super Bowl NFL championship in 1960, Philadelphia slid into many years of subpar performances. Dick Vermeil was hired as head coach in 1976 after a successful tenure in the college ranks at UCLA. But his first two seasons in the city of brotherly love were anything but that. Philadelphia only won nine out of 28 games, but all that changed in 1978 as they finished at nine and seven and earned a spot in the postseason for the first time in 18 years. Another playoff season came in 1979, and by the dawn of the 1980s, the Eagles were considered a solid contender for a championship. Along the way to a 12-4 finish in 1980, the Eagles were led on offense by quarterback Ron Jaworski. Jaws threw for 3,529 yards, 27 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions. On the receiving end of Jaworski's throws were a talented group led by veteran Harold Carmichael's 48 catches for 815 yards and 9 touchdowns. The other wide receiver, Charlie Smith, was one reception behind Carmichael and gained 825 yards and scored 3 touchdowns. 
Tight end Keith Crapeful rounded out Jaworski's air attack with 30 receptions for 450 yards and four touchdowns. Helping to give the Eagles a very balanced attack was running back Wilbert Montgomery, who had earned a stellar reputation around the pro circuit as one of its top offensive weapons. Injuries prevented him from breaking the 1,000-yard plateau in 1980, but he still ran for 778 yards and 8 touchdowns in 12 starts. He was also a devastating weapon out of the backfield as a receiver. His 50 catches led the team in that category, and he gained 407 yards and 2 touchdowns on those catches. Montgomery was completely healed for the Eagles' run to the Super Bowl and proved it by ripping through the Dallas Cowboys' defense for 194 yards rushing in Philadelphia's 20-7 win in the NFC Championship game. The Eagles' defense was tough when it came to giving up points, and led the league with 222 points allowed. Up front, this unit was led by nose tackle Charlie Johnson and defensive end Claude Humphrey, who recorded 14.5 sacks. Future Raider Jerry Robinson and Bill Berge patrolled the field from their linebacker positions, both with the ability to help out in running or passing situations. The defensive backfield was looked at as one of the best in the game, with Herman Edwards pacing the attack through his veteran leadership. Five days prior to this Super Bowl, 53 Americans were released from Iran after 444 days of captivity in what was called the Iran hostage crisis. During this trying and gripping time, yellow ribbons were displayed everywhere throughout the American landscape and pinned onto countless articles of clothing. The yellow ribbon came to symbolize the anticipation of a loved one returning home from conflict. As an honor to those 53 individuals who lost over one year of their lives away from home and loved ones, the Louisiana Superdome was decorated with a massive 80-foot-long and 30-foot-wide yellow ribbon that greeted all those attending the Super Bowl and for the viewing audience around the world to witness. Both the Eagles and Raiders had yellow ribbon stickers applied to the back of their helmets as well. The legendary broadcasting duo of Dick Enberg and Merlin Olson had the honor of calling the action for the NBC television network. And longtime multi-talented entertainer Helen O'Connell sang the national anthem and Marie Lombardi, widow of coaching great Vince Lombardi, presided over the coin toss won by the Eagles. Now, the Raiders were not disappointed over losing the coin toss. In their 10 wins out of their previous 12 games, they lost the toss. With all the hype and controversy now a memory, at least for 60 minutes of play, the referee gave the signal to start the game. With the Superdome crowd of 75,500 and a worldwide audience watching on television, Oakland's Chris Barr ended all the pregame buildup when his right foot connected with the ball to begin Super Bowl 15, Barr's opening kickoff came down on the Philadelphia 8 into the awaiting arms of Billy Camfield, who returned the ball 16 yards. Starting from his own 24, quarterback Ron Jaworski handed off to Wilbert Montgomery for a gain of 8 yards around the left end. Leroy Harris picked up 3 yards and a first down, and then Jaworski decided to test the passing lanes. Looking for one of his tight ends, John Spagnola, near midfield, Jaworski let the ball go. Within three plays, the first turnover happened 
as linebacker Rod Martin read the play perfectly, stepped in front of Spagnola, and intercepted the pass. He then ran the ball back 17 yards down to the Philadelphia 30 before being dragged down by Wilbert Montgomery. With only two minutes expired from the clock, the Raiders saw themselves in an excellent position to make something happen thanks to Martin's quick reaction. Jim Plunkett decided to start things off slowly by handing off to Mark Van Egan on first down, and the bruising fullback picked up three yards off the right side. Plunkett was faced with a third and eight situation after Kenny King carried for one yard. Plunkett went back to King, this time on a pass play, but it fell incomplete. However, defensive lineman Carl Big Daddy Hairston was called for jumping offside and a five-yard penalty moved the Raiders to the Philadelphia 23 for another chance at a first down. And this time, the Silver and Black were successful after Van Egan parred his way for four yards over the right side. Plunkett felt the time was now right to look for speed demon Cliff Branch, and he found him for a gain of 14 yards down to the five-yard line. Two Van Egan runs gained three yards, and now, on third and goal from the two-yard line, Plunkett surprised the defense with a pass. At first, it did not look good, as Plunkett could not find anyone open, and he began to run to his right. It was then that he saw Cliff Branch with his arms waving in the end zone. Plunkett then tossed the ball toward Branch, and the result was the first touchdown of Super Bowl fifteen. Barr added the extra point to cap off the seven-play, 30-yard drive with eight minutes and 56 seconds remaining in the first quarter. Barr kicked off to Campfeld on the four-yard line, and he returned this one 21 yards. Two Montgomery runs produced a mere four yards, and then a Jaworski pass attempt to Charlie Smith was broken up by Lester Hayes to force a punting situation. The Raiders were called for being offside and were penalized five yards before Max Runniger sent a 46-yard punt toward Ira Matthews on the Oakland 20. Matthews only made it two yards upfield before being stopped. Kenny King then swept left for six yards, and Mark Van Egan hit the right side for three more. With a yard to go for a first down, Jim Plunkett called his own number on a quarterback sneak, but was stopped for no gain, and Ray Guy came on to punt. He got off a 44-yard kick that John Shahara returned 12 yards. Shahara's effort gave Philadelphia a good start on this drive on their own 37. Jaworski went right to the air, connecting with tight end Keith Krempville for 8 yards. Montgomery moved the chains with a gain of 3 up the middle. The star running back attempted another run on first down, but was dropped for a loss of 1 yard by Ted Hendricks on a sweep to the left. Montgomery made up for that loss on the following play by catching a screen pass from Jaworski for 13 yards and another first down. Now in Raiders territory at the 40-yard line, Montgomery lost one yard going off the left side when Dave Browning met him and refused to give ground. Jaworski returned to the air but was being pressured quickly by the tough Oakland defense. He looked to dump the ball as soon as possible and managed to get it into Leroy Harris's hands for a gain of only one yard before Rod Martin drilled the running back into the ground. There was no surprise when Jaworski dropped back on third and ten. Sending the great Harold Carmichael in motion to divert attention away from the other wide receiver, Rodney Parker, Jaworski's plan worked to perfection, 
as Parker extended his arms and came down with a 40-yard touchdown grab to pull the Eagles to within one point. Amidst all the celebrating, a yellow penalty flag was on the ground, and the six points were quickly taken away when it was learned that Carmichael was called for illegal motion and the Eagles lost five yards instead of attempting the extra point. Dejected, but still having to remain focused, the Eagles broke their huddle in an attempt to get those six points back on the board. The Jaworski to Parker combination was tried again, but this time Otis McKinney batted away the ball on a pass attempt across the middle. Max Runniger then got off a 31-yard punt that Ira Matthews called for a fair catch on at the Oakland 14. With one minute and six seconds left in the first quarter, Jim Plunkett threw to Cliff Branch for four yards, and Branch went out of bounds after the catch to stop the clock. Kenny King then ran off right tackle for two more yards, bringing up a third and four from the 20. With the seconds winding down, Plunkett dropped back, and with his deep threats covered, he looked for a safety valve and found it in Kenny King. While running to his left, Plunkett landed a perfect screen pass into King's hands while he was still in stride along the left sideline at the Oakland 39. There was nothing but open field in front of him, and with nine seconds remaining, Kenny King had himself an 80-yard touchdown reception that extended the Raiders' advantage to 14 to nothing following Chris Barr's extra point. That three-play, 86-yard drive took a mere 57 seconds to successfully complete, and following it, Barr kicked off to Campfield, who received the ball on his 14 and advanced it 12 yards before Otis McKinney brought him down. And that was the end of the first quarter, with a score, the Raiders 14 and the Eagles nothing. The Eagles were hoping to get out of this hole quickly before things got out of hand. Montgomery ran for eight yards on first down, and after Reggie Kinlaw clamped down on Harris's attempt to run left, Jaworski went to the air connecting with Spagnola for a pickup of 22 yards before Mike Davis stopped him on the Oakland 44. Now in Raiders territory, Jaworski looked to get even deeper. His first attempt at it was denied when Lester Hayes broke up a pass intended for Smith at the goal line. However, on the next play, Jaworski hit his mark on a 25-yard hookup to Montgomery that got the Eagles to the Oakland 19. Montgomery then ran for five and Harris for one, bringing up a third-and-four situation. The Raiders assumed Jaworski was going to throw, and they were correct in their thinking. They applied fierce pressure that made Jaworski scramble around looking for a receiver. He managed to get off a pass intended for Montgomery, but the ball fell incomplete to bring up a field goal situation. Tony Franklin came on and successfully sent the ball on its way for a 30-yard trip through the uprights to put Philadelphia on the board with 10 minutes and 28 seconds left in the first half and made the score 14-3. The ensuing kickoff was received by Keith Moody at the 1 and he brought it back 19 yards before being stopped. The Philadelphia defense made quick work of the Raiders on their next possession. A Plunkett to Bob Chandler pass attempt missed its mark and Arthur Whittington was dropped for a loss of 2 trying to run up the middle and Plunkett ended the quick series with a gain of five yards while trying to avoid a pass rush. Ray Guy then came on and let loose with a 42-yard punt that Shahara returned six yards, but the Eagles were penalized 15 yards for clipping on the return. Now, starting from the Philadelphia 26, after the penalty was marked off, Jaworski and the Eagles' offense 
also made a quick exit. A three-yard screen pass to Carmichael was followed by two incomplete passes, and on fourth down, Runniger punted 33 yards to Ira Matthews, who was dumped by Shahara for a loss of a yard down at the Oakland 37. With seven minutes and 23 seconds left in the first half, the Raiders worked the right side of the line, with Mark Van Egan picking up six and then four yards and a first down in the process. Following an incompletion intended for Kenny King on a deep route, Plunkett teamed up with Branch on an 18-yarder that moved the Raiders to the Philadelphia 35. Things then went bad for Oakland. After King ran off right tackle for four yards, a pass intended for Branch was broken up by Herman Edwards, and then Plunkett picked up four while trying to avoid a rush. Chris Barr attempted a 45-yard field goal, but it went wide right and fell short. At this point, the Eagles felt some momentum finally drifting their way and looked to seize the opportunity to pull closer before the end of the first half. From the Philadelphia 27, Montgomery was dropped by Matt Millen for no gain. Jaworski avoided disaster when a pass intended for Carmichael went right into the hands of defensive back Burgess Owens, but he dropped it. Jaworski then went back to Carmichael for a 29-yard gain at the two-minute warning. Fighting against the Oakland defense and the clock, Harris ran for three yards, and the Eagles called a timeout to stop the clock. Jaworski and Carmichael teamed up on a 14-yard pass, which was followed by two incompletions. Carmichael then hauled in a 16-yard pass to get the Eagles to the Oakland 27 with one minute and seven seconds left. After calling their second timeout, Philadelphia failed on three straight pass attempts, two of which were intended for the end zone. Tony Franklin came on to attempt a 28-yard field goal with 43 seconds remaining. But at the snap, Ten Hendricks used his 6-foot-7-inch frame to reach up and swat the ball away. It was recovered by Matt Millen for the Raiders on the Oakland 14, and following a Van Egan run of 5 yards, the teams retreated to their locker rooms with the Raiders up 14-3 at the end of the first half. During the first half, the Raiders were establishing a tempo with solid running from Mark Van Egan off the right side behind great blocking from guard Mickey Marvin and tackle Henry Killer Lawrence. Plunkett looked confident with two touchdown tosses to his credit, and the defense was getting really great penetration up front from John Matuzak, and the defensive backs were knocking down more pass attempts than allowing. And with another 30 minutes to go in regulation... The Raiders were looking to keep doing what got them an 11-point lead, and if they did, the second diamond-studded Super Bowl ring in team history would be awarded to them a few months later. The second half got underway with Tony Franklin kicking off to Ira Matthews, who took the ball upfield from the three to the Oakland 24. The Raiders did not start off the second half very well, as Kenny King was dropped for a loss of three yards by linebacker Bill Berge. They were also penalized 10 yards due to a holding call on Henry Lawrence. Mark Van Egan gave the Raiders a little breathing room with a gain of 8 yards off the left side. And two plays followed that took the Raiders from deep in their own territory to inside the Philadelphia 40. A Plunkett to King screen pass gained 13 yards, and then Bob Chandler went deep and caught a 32-yard pass to put the ball on the Philadelphia 33. A four-yard run by Van Egan got the Raiders to the 29. On second down, and with a good offensive flow going, Plunkett smelled the end zone and looked to get into it. At the snap, 
Cliff Branch headed toward the right corner of the end zone, and Jim Plunkett let loose with a pass lacking velocity, and defensive back Roynell Young was blanketing Branch as the weak pass made its way toward them. Young made a move to intercept, but Branch turned back around one yard and grabbed the ball out of Young's hands and went into the end zone for his second touchdown reception of the game. Chris Barr added the conversion to finish off the five-play, 76-yard drive, which now gave our Raiders a commanding 21-3 lead with 12 minutes and 24 seconds left in the third quarter. Barr's ensuing kickoff went to Perry Harrington on the Philadelphia 10, but no return was attempted. Starting deep in Philadelphia territory, Wilbert Montgomery ran off left tackle for a gain of four. Jaworski then gave the Eagles some breathing room with an 18-yard pass to Carmichael that got the ball out to the Philly 32. Montgomery added three yards off the left side before a Jaworski pass attempt to Spagnola was incomplete. But rookie linebacker Matt Millen was called for pass interference, and the Eagles were awarded five yards and an automatic first down. The Eagles then gained 26 yards over the next three plays on a 19-yard pass from Jaworski to Carmichael, a five-yard run from Harris, and a gain of two by Montgomery. With the ball on the Oakland 34, Jaworski looked to throw a screen pass on third and three. Looking left to Spagnola, Rod Martin read the play perfectly and came up with his second interception of the game and returned it two yards to the Oakland 32 with eight minutes and 20 seconds left in the third quarter. At this stage of the game, the Raiders were beginning to feel that this game would be theirs and looked to distance themselves even more from the Eagles. A five-yard run up the middle by Van Egan was followed by a minor setback when Plunkett was sacked for a loss of one yard. On third and six, Plunkett got the Raiders into Philadelphia territory with a 16-yard toss to Raymond Chester at the Eagles' 48. Going right back to Chester, Plunkett connected this time with him for 17 yards. Derek Jensen then got his first Super Bowl carry on the next play and ran for a gain of five yards off the left side. A Claude Humphrey tackle on Whittington resulted in a loss of two yards, and a pass to Chester fell incomplete to bring up fourth down. Now Chris Barr did not want Rod Martin's interception to go to waste, and he extended the Oakland advantage to 24-3 with a 46-yard field goal with four minutes and 35 seconds left in the third quarter to complete a seven-play, 40-yard drive. Martin's two interceptions were now looming large, as they led to 10 points for the Silver and Black. Campfield received Barr's kickoff on his six and returned it 33 yards to give the Eagles what appeared to be excellent field position to start a comeback. It was not meant to be, however, as Ray Phillips was called for clipping back on the Philadelphia 24, and the penalty was half the distance from where the infraction occurred. So instead of starting almost at midfield, the Eagles would have to begin deep in their own territory on the 12. An incompletion intended for Montgomery started the series off, but then Jaworski let loose with a deep pass that found Charlie Smith for a pickup of 43 yards down to the Oakland 45. The Eagles then took to the ground over the course of the next four plays, with Perry Harrington and Wilbert Montgomery both gaining four yards, followed by three on another Montgomery carry, and finally Harris ran to the left side for three to get Philadelphia to the Oakland 34. Mixing things up, Jaworski went back to the air, but two straight pass attempts to Carmichael fell incomplete. Jaworski made up for his mishaps by hitting Parker for a gain of 19 and then let Louis Giamona 
in the third quarter with a runoff left tackle that picked up seven yards down to the Oakland Five. The fourth quarter began with Wilbert Montgomery being stopped for no gain by Mike Davis on a sweep to the left. An offside penalty on Lester Hayes moved the ball half the distance to the goal line, but Philadelphia was called for a false start on the next play to bring up a third and six situation from the eight. Jaworski then found the end zone on a pass to Keith Krempfel, and with Tony Franklin's extra point, it pulled the Eagles to within 14 points of the lead, with the score now at 24-10, with 13 minutes and 59 seconds to go in regulation. Ira Matthews received Franklin's kickoff on the three and returned it to the Oakland 11. Mark Van Egan opened this series with a run off the left side for a pickup of eight and followed that up with one for five yards and a first down. Kenny King then ran one up the middle and then Plunkett went to the passing game, connecting with Raymond Chester for a gain of eight. Claude Humphreys was penalized 15 yards for roughing the passer and Oakland moved to their own 48 after the penalty was marked off. After a pass attempt to Branch fell incomplete, Plunkett hit Chandler on two consecutive downs. The first one went for a 23-yard pickup, and the second one was for five, which put the Raiders on the Philadelphia 24. A run by Van Egan to the right picked up five, and Arthur Whittington added two more rushing yards following an incomplete pass intended for Van Egan. Plunkett then looked to go back to Chandler on third down from the 17, but the pass fell incomplete. Chris Barr then came on and kicked his second three-pointer of this game, this time from 35 yards out to end the 11-play 72-yard drive and to give the Raiders a 27-10 lead with 8 minutes and 29 seconds left. Barr's ensuing kickoff was received once again by Campfield on the two, and he returned at 20 yards to give Philadelphia their final opportunity, although extremely slim, to make a run at winning. Wilbert Montgomery swept right for two yards, and then Jaworski connected with Smith for 16 and Montgomery for 19 to get inside Oakland territory at the 41. Rod Martin stopped Harris for a loss of one yard on the next play, and then Jaworski fumbled the snap, and Willie Jones pounced on the loose ball at the Oakland 42, not only to end the series for Philly, but their hopes as well. With this game all but over with 5 minutes and 30 seconds left showing on the clock, the Raiders just looked to run out the time and collect their second Vince Lombardi trophy in the process. Now, by this time, it must have been going through everyone's minds in the pro football world as how NFL Commissioner Pete Rozelle and his bitter rival Al Davis would act when the Lombardi trophy had to be presented. Many interesting things must have been said in that regard. With all the excitement of anticipating a Super Bowl title on the field and across Raider Nation, Mark Van Egan ran up the middle for a gain of two, and Kenny King swept the left side for six more. And on third down, Arthur Whittington dropped a pass to bring Ray Guy in to punt. He got off a 40-yard kick that Wally Henry returned two yards before Jeff Barnes brought him down right at midfield. By now, Ron Jaworski was becoming very predictable and was forced to pass on every down with 3 minutes and 51 seconds remaining. His first pass attempt, intended for Smith, was broken up by Dwayne Osteen. He then connected with Montgomery for 13 yards before having a pass deflected at the line of scrimmage. Montgomery caught one for 5 yards, and then Willie Jones was called for roughing the passer, and the Raiders were penalized 15 yards. From the Philadelphia 45 on 1st and 10, 
Jaworski retreated into the pocket and fired a pass to Campfield over the middle. And there was Rod Martin. He came up big once again by intercepting his third pass of the game to establish a Super Bowl record. He picked it off at the Oakland 37 and returned it 25 yards to the Philadelphia 38 with two minutes and 50 seconds left before the Raiders could officially be called world champions. Now the Raiders just wanted to simply run out the clock and start the celebration as Van Egan carried three straight times for a total of 10 yards, which brought the game to the two-minute warning. It was then Derek Jensen's turn to carry three times. A sweep to the left gained six, and two runs up the middle, each for three yards, ended the game at 27-10 with our fantastic Oakland Raiders being declared world champions. Jim Plunkett had one of the greatest human interest stories in the history of professional football in 1980. He was cast off just a few years earlier as being considered washed up. Even going into the 1980 campaign, his chances of playing seemed remote at best. And now here he was, after guiding the Raiders from a 2-3 and three start to the ultimate reward offered in professional football. For this game, Plunkett completed 13 of 21 passes for 261 yards and three touchdowns. And for his efforts, he was named Super Bowl 15's most valuable player. And on this January 25th, 1981 day in New Orleans, our proud group of men in silver and black beat all the odds and rose to climax one of the greatest championship runs ever in the history of professional football. While the players were celebrating in their locker room, the master renegade himself, Al Davis, entered to prepare for his second Lombardi Trophy presentation in four years. Despite all the talk of what would happen when Davis and Roselle faced each other, it was quickly put to rest. After saying a few words of praise about the Raiders, Pete Roselle simply handed the trophy to Davis, who thanked him, and that was the extent of the much-anticipated event. For Al Davis was just too busy enjoying the moment to use it as a pulpit about things not related to what his beloved band of renegades just accomplished. All right, my fellow brothers and sisters, united in the passion that is our Raiders, this wraps up this four-part series dedicated to the 1980 Oakland Raiders' incredible season. And until the next time, we are all back together once again for another episode of Silver and Black Flashback. I say, like I always do, those words I live by each and every day. Love you, Raider Nation! Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.